Thanks for listening to the Light Church Podcast. This sermon was recorded in San Diego, California. We pray that the Lord would speak to you through His Word. For more information, you can visit our website, lightsandiego.com. Uh, Good morning, everyone. My name is Brian, and uh, before we jump into our message this morning from the book of Ephesians, I just want to take a moment to acknowledge the uh, fact that we are celebrating the 4th of July in a few days' time, and this is 4th of July weekend. Yeah, we can celebrate. I live in a a beautiful little neighborhood where, um, you know, we're new to America. If you don't know our story, we moved here about six months ago uh, from South Africa. And we are really enjoying all of the pleasures and the fun and the excitement that, and, and just the good life that America has to offer. And um, the other day we came home from an outing as a family and when we got home our entire neighborhood had American flags along all the um, sidewalks. And so we've got our little American flag outside our house and we're getting ready to celebrate our first uh, 4th of July as uh, those living in America. But I wanted to take a moment just to acknowledge and maybe... Maybe as someone that's new to living in the United States, maybe a reminder for all of us uh, how fantastic this nation is. Sure, America is not perfect. Uh, There are challenges on many different fronts. But let me tell you, as someone new living in this nation, uh, we are all very, very privileged to live and uh, do life and to serve Jesus in uh, America and all of the opportunities that that provides for us both personally, as a family, but also as a church and a nation that celebrates, uh, you know, religion and the fact that we get together and the fact that there's opportunities for us to live out our faith in this nation. And so I just want to take a moment that if there is anybody that has served or is currently serving, or if you're a family member of someone that served in the military, just to honor you and thank you for your service uh, and for providing and, and, and and uh, protecting the nation with which we live. But I also want to take a moment uh, as a congregation just to pray for our country and, uh, and just celebrate the fact that we get to live in this beautiful land. So if you don't mind uh, standing with me, and uh, I would like to just pray for us and pray over our nation. So let's stand together as we pray. Father God, we thank you for America. We thank you, Lord God, for the United States, which we get to live and, uh, and serve you in. We thank you, Lord God, for the, the freedoms that this nation provides. We thank you for the opportunity that this nation provides. And right now as a church, we want to stand in the gap between heaven and earth and pray your blessings over this nation. We want to pray, Lord God, that, that America would once again as an entire nation, submit herself at the feet of Jesus. We want to pray, Lord God, that as a nation, America would be known for a country that houses the presence of the Lord. And so we pray as the church, those charged to carry out your mandate of making disciples of all nations. Today we stand in the gap in our own nation of America and we say, Lord, come. Holy Spirit, come. Fall on this nation, we pray. We pray, Lord God, that you would saturate the minds of our political leaders, those who find themselves in uh, passing and writing and authorizing legislation. We pray, Lord God, that the ways of Jesus would come and manifest themselves in our nation. 
And so we ask, Lord God, that you would come and do it again. Pour yourself out again. Move amongst America again, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's be seated. Friends, we are in the book of Ephesians. It's been an amazing last few uh, months, really, as we've gone through Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. A bit of reminder of where we are. We open in Ephesians chapter 5 today. So if you want to take out your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Hey, on that note, if you don't have a Bible... Uh, We are men and women who want to submit ourselves and be in the Word daily along with our lectios. But if you don't have a Bible, we've got a Bibles at the back, and we would love to bless you and give you a Bible. So there's some beautiful leather Bibles at the back. That's our gift to you. So if you don't have a Bible, grab one. But we'll be in Ephesians chapter 5 today. Up until this point, Paul, who is a pastor and a church planter, goes into a pretty influential city called Ephesus, and he plants a church. A church that would have looked very similar to ours. A church starting off in a city that was along a major trade route. And as I say that, an airplane's flying over us. A city that we could really resonate and identify with. And Paul plants a church. And then he goes off to other nations and cities and towns to go and plant other churches. But he has this deep affection for the church in Ephesus. And so he writes them a letter. A letter to remind them of who they are in Christ. He tells them their position. He says, you are dearly loved children of God. And he spends three chapters of his letter telling them who they are and who Jesus is and who they are in light of who Jesus is. And then he spends the second part of the the letter telling us what is expected of us as a disciple or a follower of Jesus. And I love the order that Paul writes his letter in, and we focused in a little bit on this in our series, where Paul starts off by telling us that we're loved. He tells us that we're dearly loved children. Before he's told us what we have to do or what life as a Christian looked like, he just says, you're loved, you're accepted, you're a child of God. And he's saying, in light of who you are, this is how you should live. And so I love the book of Ephesians. It's my favorite book in all the Bible because it's telling me and affirming my identity But then it also gets really practical in telling me how I can live out the Christian faith. And so we're in chapter 5 today, and we'll pick up in verse 1, and we've got a a whole bunch to read, so you can follow along with me. Paul starts off, chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children, and walk in love, as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us, a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. But sexual immorality and any impurity or greed should not even be heard of amongst you as is proper for saints. Obscene and foolish talking or crude joking are not suitable, but rather giving thanks. For know and recognize this, every sexual, sexually immoral, impure or greedy person who is an idolater does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty arguments, for God's wrath is coming on the disobedient because of these things. Therefore, do not become their parents, their partners, rather, sorry. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the, of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth, testing what is pleasing to the Lord. Don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to mention what is done by them in secret. Everything exposed by the light is made visible, for what makes everything visible is light. Therefore it is said, get up, 
sleeper and rise up from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time. Because the days are evil, so don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living. But be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing, with, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. A big, chunky passage that is largely filled up with a bunch of encouragements or instructions in how to live. But I want to start off by asking you the question, have you ever heard of the phrase, uh, like father, like son? You ever heard of that before? Like father, like son, the idea that like as a son, you are likely to take on some of the characteristics of your father or some of the actions you often see like little boys walking or talking or behaving good and bad like their dads or little girls like their moms or like a mentor or an older sibling, like father, like son. Maybe take a moment to think even uh, in some of the ways that you have taken on some of the characteristics or even desire to be like a parent or like an older sibling or like a mentor. I'm sure some things jump to mind. Now, I can think of um, as a little boy, I remember that, uh, and it's kind of a San Diegan thing to do, which is quite cool because God was breathing San Diego into my life as a little child. But I remember my dad, uh, he was a, a kind of a beach bum as a, um, as a young adult, and he used to wear his jeans, his long pants, with, um, with what we would call slops. Slops are your sandals, like rainbows, you know? And uh, I remember my dad always used to walk around kind of dressed like I am right now, but with his slip slops on. What do you call them? Sandals? Rainbows? What do we call them here, people? Flip-flops? We call them slops in South Africa. So with his slops, right? And so he has a little bit of a translation um, lesson. But he would walk around in jeans and slops. And I remember that's all I wanted to do as a little kid. And I remember going to school one day and trying to go in my jeans and slops. But my mom's saying, no, you've got to wear closed shoes to school. And I remember as a five-year-old uh, packing my slops, my flip-flops, in my bag so that when I got to school, I could change and I had my flip-flops on because I wanted to be like my dad. I remember, uh, you know, this plays itself out in my own life right now as I've got two little boys. Uh, two weeks ago, we went to Caleb, my five-year-old's uh, graduation. I love that you graduate many different times in America. Every year there's a graduation, right? So well done. It's like celebrate everyone. Okay, so uh, we, we went to his graduation and he was very cute. He had his like little hat thing on and called his name up and they, they gave a little preamble as to who Caleb is. And they did this with every child, and they said, when Caleb grows up, they, are, they obviously asked the kids this during class, when Caleb grows up, he says, and the other kids want to be like, there were two Spider-Men, uh, there was a fireman, there was like doctors, these kind of things. Caleb, is a proud moment, Caleb says, he wants to be just like his dad. I know, right? I mean, just like winning at parenting. Just... Uh, and, and, and there's a something inbred within, I mean, you should not see some of the, the uh, let's call it passionate discussions I have with my children. Uh, but um, yes, we'll stick with that. Caleb wants to be like his dad. But there's something inbred within us, right? There's something genetic, sure, that you like walk and talk and take on some of the physical and kind of characteristics of your parents. But 
there's also something that I see within my own children where they try and they practice and they watch me and they try and do it themselves and they sometimes they get it wrong, sometimes they get it right, but they put in a lot of effort and eventually over time they start to become like dad. They ask me questions, Caleb wants to cook on the barbecue with me all the time because he wants to do the things that I do. He wants to enjoy the food that I enjoy. So there's a lot of red meat going down the throats of the two young boys because dad likes red meat. And there's like, they want to be like dad. And eventually, over time, they start to become more and more like me. Well, I love Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1 because Paul urges us to imitate our heavenly father. He says, therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us as sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. And, and once he's kind of opened up with that, that phrase, those two verses, he then moves on. And remember, Paul is so strategic with the order of his writings. And he, and he tells us, imitate God as dearly loved children, walk in love as Christ has loved us and given himself over for us, and then he goes on to tell us how we should live or, or what imitating God looks like. So he tells you, you are loved. Okay, now live this way. Do these things. Live out or, and he uses the language here, walk the Christian life. And he starts to tell us about how we can live in the way of love. It's the way of Jesus or the way of love. And he's saying walk in love, live in love. And he gives some examples of areas of our existence as human beings where we're invited to imitate God. He talks about our sexuality. He talks about our finances. He talks about the way we speak. He talks about how we use our time. And he talks about substances and the abuse of those substances. And basically, he's telling us as a Christian, as someone who is a disciple or a follower of Jesus, this is what your life should look like. And so he's saying, don't live like the rest of the world, but rather pursue the way of love and live this way. But here's the thing. As human beings in the 21st century, we don't like to be told what to do, right? Like we don't like someone telling us, like giving us instruction and, and giving us rules. It's kind of human nature. Like you don't tell me what to do. We like marching to the beat of our own drum or living life on our own terms. You know, but what Paul is saying here is like step into a way of love and live this certain way. And oftentimes we're put off by that. I see this again within my own kids where, you know, every time we give rules or life suggestions, uh, they want to push the boundaries to get as close to what is on the other side of that rule or boundary as possible. We had to have a discussion with our two boys uh, last or two weeks ago where we had to sit them down and say, hey, dudes, listen. We are not putting rules in your life to try and irritate you or to be masters over you and like Lord rules over you. We're not trying to be difficult. We're not trying to control you. We're actually putting rules and structures and things in your life, firstly, to protect you, to help you, to help you grow into you know, healthy, mature contributing men in society. We, we want to see you blessed. We want to see, we, we train you in keeping manners because we want you to be good citizens and we want other people to like you. We want you to be able to contribute to society. We want you to be able to make your bed so that your house is not a pigsty one day when you're older. We want you to be able to get good jobs one day and participate in a flourishing society. We want you to be blessed and we want you to bless others and those around you to be blessed. And so this is why we give you 
rules and suggestions. You know, as your parents, we are infinitely more wise than you at this point in time. And so we want to guide you and lead you in your life. And the same can be said of God. You see, as creator of the universe, creator of our own lives, he knows best. He he is infinitely more wise than us. And as our creator and as creator of the whole earth, he knows what will bring about blessing and flourishing uh, in our life and in the life of those around us. And so when God gives us instruction, it's really him as the architect, the architect of life, who has a blueprint, basically, for what a flourishing life should look like, and he shares that blueprint with us, saying, hey, if you want a life of purpose and meaning and flourishing and thriving for you and for those around you, here's the plan. Here's what it looks like. We are then given free choice as to whether we follow the plan or not, but he's saying, here is an invitation, because I love you, into life in the fullness. He's not giving us rules to condemn us or control us. He's giving us an invitation into life. But the the beauty of this is is that Paul gives us these instructions, and let's call them rather invitations to life and fullness. He gives us these invitations in areas of sexuality and finance and time and substances. And he tells us to imitate God because he knows this is what will bring about flourishing and purpose. And he tells us, before he tells us those things, he says, you are loved as dearly loved children. Christ sacrificed himself for you. Now enjoy that love by living this way. And he uses this language of like father, like son. Now leading up to this invitation to imitation, he previously paints this beautiful picture in Ephesians. We've gone through this over the last couple of weeks. This beautiful picture of God as a perfect father. Maybe as I gave that analogy this morning, you were thinking, hey, I don't want to be anything like my dad or like a parent or someone that's been in my life. Like, I I want to be the opposite of that because there are a lot of people who have damaged and broken relationships with their fathers, earthly fathers. But what Paul does is he says, hey, you have a perfect father, a father who sacrificed himself for you and who loves you as dearly loved children and to imitate this perfect father. And he adds in Ephesians chapter 5 that we must take on the Father's character. This is foundational to our goal here at Light Church is that we want to be with Jesus. We want to, over time as we are with him, become like Jesus. And then we want to see ourselves doing the very things that Jesus did. It's our position. It's who we are in Christ as we are with him, posturing ourselves in the presence of the Father And then that will eventually lead to our practice, like doing the things that Jesus did. But this middle bit is so important, and it's oftentimes the place that we kind of skip over, this transformation piece, where it's not like be with Jesus and follow a bunch of rules and go do a bunch of stuff. It's no, be with Jesus, and then allow him to transform you as you start to imitate him and become like him so that you see out of an overflow of who you now are as a new person in Christ, from a new identity, you live out a new way of life and you live the way of Jesus or the way of love. Now, love is the essence of the Father's character. If we had to describe God and the Bible describes God as love, God the Father is the essence of who he is can be defined by this one word, love. One of the ways and one of the places that love is most 
or, or best described, I feel, is in another one of Paul's writings. So we're just going to jump to another letter that Paul wrote to a church in Galatia. It's the book of, of Galatians in chapter 5. And, and you might, might have heard this uh, before, but it's called the fruits of the Spirit. Now, the fruits of the Spirit are not ways in which we have to now live or levels of achievement that we have to attain. But when Paul speaks about the fruits of the Spirit, what he's doing is he's just putting on display for us the character traits of Jesus. Okay. But before we get to that, let's look at the few verses that kind of come before the fruits of the Spirit. Look at this. In verse 16 of chapter 5, Paul says, I say then, walk by the Spirit. Or if we use the Ephesian language, walk in the way of love. So he's saying, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you, do, so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral purity, uh, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, fractions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I'm warning you about these things, as I warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do you notice how similar these examples of the ways of the world or the ways in which we should not live are to what Paul has given us in Ephesians that we read today? Very similar around sexuality and time and language and, and, uh, and anger and so on. Very similar. But what is Paul's solution? Well, it's the same solution that he gives us in Ephesians chapter 5. He says that we must take on the character traits of Jesus. So when he talks about the character traits of Jesus, he's not saying, hey, you need to be more loving. You need to be more joyful. So you go through your life saying, come on, Brian, more joy today. No, he's saying, Become like Jesus, spend time with him, and what will overflow out of who you are is joy, is love. And he goes through, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit, this can be translated, the character trait of Jesus, or let me describe Jesus to you, here he is, is love. Remember, Paul is so clever in how he orders the structures of his books and his sentences. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He's saying the fruit of the Spirit, number one, right off the bat, is love. The essence of who God is, is love. It's the essence of the character traits of Jesus. The other eight characteristics, by the way, are just how love is experienced, how love is expressed, and how love empowers us. Check this out. We experience God's love as joy and peace. We express God's love as patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. And God's love empowers us to exercise gentleness and self-control. Do you see how everything flows out of us being loved and loving others? So, what is the Christian character? The character of the Christian, of the disciple, is defined in the scriptures as Jesus and love. We are called to take on the person of Jesus as our character and be defined in the essence of who we are by love. Kevin Smith, who's a, a theologian and a professor at the South African Theological uh, Seminary, he's, he talks about how uh, the model 
and the manifestation of the Christian character. And I love how he puts it. He says, the model of the Christian character, that who we follow is Jesus Christ. He's the model of the Christian character. And we aspire to become as much like Jesus as possible. The manifestation of that character in our life is love, with love being the supreme manifestation of the Christian character. He goes on to say that this means just as love is God's essence, so love needs to be the essence of Christ-like character. Love needs to be the essence of those of us who call ourselves Christians and who desire to become like Jesus. God wants to form in each of us a way of love, a lifestyle of love. So Christian character is called Christ-likeness, or we like to just talk about becoming like Jesus. The model is Jesus Christ himself, like father, like son, and the manifestation, what that looks like in our daily lives is love. Let's look at love. The, the, the passage that every pastor uses at any wedding ceremony, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is what Paul says about love, and he calls love the superior way. He says, if I speak in human or angelic languages, but do not love, I am a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. If I have gifts of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. He's talking about having faith to move mountains, but if you do not have love, you have nothing. If I give away all my possessions, so I act as a Christian, I do the behavior, I do the things that Jesus did, but I, and if I give my body in order to, uh, and I give over my body in order to boast, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not irritable. It does not record, uh, keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never ends. Love is the one characteristic that we're told and as the person of Jesus that will be there till the very end. And so there is this one quality that sums up and incorporates all that God wants us to be, and that's love. So love is the one quality that defines you and me becoming like Jesus. Friends, this is so important. I know I'm like going over the same point here, but this is foundational. If you want to, if you want to, if you're someone who's like, I, I, I believe in Jesus, I go to church, but, but how, does this, how does this way of Jesus apply to my life? What does this look like on a daily basis? It looks like a heart being transformed by the love we experience from the Father and then us living out the way of love. All other virtues in life, all of the other character traits of Jesus are expressions of his love. We forgive others because we love. We bear with one another because we love. And the, the examples can continue. If we look at the nine characteristics that Paul describes as fruits of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, we can represent them like this image. Basically, love is the sun, the center, with all the other virtues or rays emanating from its warmth and light. Love is the source. And love is like the hub of a wheel with all other virtues radiating out from it like spokes. We need to develop characters or we need to become people of love. And we do that by surrendering and submitting ourselves to receiving or posturing ourselves before the Father to receive His love. And so here in Ephesians, we're told to imitate God. We're told, like Father, like Son, 
of course, we cannot imitate God in everything. You know, we can't create the whole world. We don't, we can never obtain all knowledge of everything. There, there are certain elements of God that are completely outside of us, but we can reflect God's character because what are we? We are his image bearers who have been changed and transformed by the gospel. So if we take on the image of God and God is love, then we should be taking on the character trait of love. Paul answers the question, how should we imitate God? He, he urges us to walk in love, to walk in love. So what does he mean by that? He's saying, hey, walking, this, this, this word walking this, he uses, he's talking about the Christian life. He's talking about our practice. He's spoken about our position, dearly loved children, who we are. And then he talks about our practice. He says, your practice is love. Before he gives us any instructions, he invites us to be loved and to love others. He says, basically, don't focus on the to-dos of Christianity. Focus in on who you are. Who are you? You are a beloved child of God. Friends, I want to tell you today, and I want to remind you if, you've, if you know this or you've heard it before, you are loved by God. And he's calling us in our practice to be motivated by love. In our sexuality, we, we, we get so focused in on like what, is like, what does the Bible say about our sexuality? Or what does the Bible say about our finances? And, and that's good. We need, to, we need to dive into those things and have those discussions absolutely. And we want to be informed and, and, and robust in our theology 100%. But Paul's saying, hey, be motivated by love. Are you motivated by love in your sexuality? Are you motivated by love in your finances and your speech and your time and how you use substances? And, and he gives a whole bunch of other examples in his other letters. Because before he talks about practice, he talks about our position, our identity. Who are you? Who am I? We are beloved children of God. That's our position. Our activity is then to go as ones who are loved and imitate him. See, if I didn't love my boys, if I didn't first show them love and be, uh, and, and, and they would experience expressions of love in and through my actions, they would never want to imitate me. But here's the thing, you've got a father who deeply loves you. And when we spend time in his presence, something within us says, actually, I want to become like this model, Jesus. Let the manifestation be love. See, friends, if you're in Christ, Paul wants us to know that you're a dearly loved child of God. You're, you're loved by God. But I want to ask you today, do you know that God actually likes you? Do you know that God likes you? Like he's not caught up in what you've done in your past or God, he really likes you. Paul wants this to sink deep down in our hearts and he wants us to be the motivating factor of all of our lives. He wants us to wake up every morning knowing I am a beloved child of God. That's why our lectios are so important because we center ourselves on the way of Jesus before we center ourselves on the way of Instagram and the way of the world. The way of Jesus, the way of love. You know, often on Sundays we sing the song, Good, Good Father. You know that song? It's been popular over the years. It's basically drilling down this truth of Ephesians chapter 5 in our hearts. I would sing it, but it would just be like a, you know, we talk about a joyful noise to the Lord. This would just be a noise to the Lord. But uh, the, the lyrics are, you're a good, good father. That's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. That's who I am. It's who I am. I am loved by you. And Paul starts this passage with saying, because you are a beloved child of God, go and, go and imitate him in the rest of your life. So what does it mean to imitate God? The, the definition of imitate is to take or follow as a model or example or to copy. 
The word in the Greek is the word uh, mimitus, which it gives our English word mimic from. I love how Eugene Peterson puts it in his translation of the Bible, the message translation. He, he, he translates Ephesians 1 and 2 like this. He says, watch what God does, then you do it. Like children who learn proper behavior from their parents, mostly what God does is love you, keep company with him, so be with him, and learn a life of love. Become like him. There's this example, we live in California, right? So just up the drag is um, Hollywood. And there's this method that actors in Hollywood use to best uh, create within themselves the thoughts and the feelings and the emotions of their characters that they're going to play so they can do them in really like convincing lifelike ways in their movies. Follow me. And it's called method acting. Someone who's been particularly good at doing method acting is Robert De Niro. And in in Martin Scorsese's Taxi Driver, Robert De Niro does a fantastic job of becoming a taxi driver. He he plays, uh, Robert De Niro plays a character called Travis Buckle who struggles with insomnia. And uh, he works extra long shifts, long hours to fill up his time and uh, to earn extra money. And to be able to portray an unhinged, overwork, insomniac taxi driver, Robert De Niro becomes an unhinged, overwork, insomniac taxi driver. Get this. He literally, Robert De Niro, he literally studied, took the test, and got his cabbie license. He then went on to work 12-hour shifts as a taxi driver, driving people around New York City, so that he, when he arrived on set every day to do his acting role, he could be an unhinged, overworked, insomniac taxi driver. He imitated Travis Buckle, the taxi driver, so that he could become like him. Like, he went and did the activities so that he could become like him. In um, the gangster movie called The Untouchables, uh, Robert De Niro again studied and read everything he could about the legendary gangster El Capone to try and understand his character. He gained 15 kgs. I don't know what that is, like, like, I don't know, 30 pounds. I don't even know what it is in pounds. Um, but he gained 15 kgs because he, wanted, he was pretty concerned with what his face looked like. He wanted to make sure it was like rounder to look like uh, El Capone. Uh, during filming, get this, he had every piece of his wardrobe tailor-made to identically match that of Capone and what he originally wore down to the actual fabric that uh, was Capone's uh, dress attire. Robert De Niro actually used Capone's real-life uh, tailors that he personally tracked down to make his uh, garments. He also took up smoking the exact same brand of cigars that uh, El Capone smoked, and De Niro even insisted, get this, that he had multiple pairs of silk underwear made to match Capone's, even though he knew that these would never be seen on TV because he really wanted to like become like El Capone. So he, he had what they termed method undies to uh, imitate his character. Now, I love the discipline and the hard work that Robert De Niro puts into his passion for acting. To become like, but get this, friends. We are called to imitate God of the universe. To become like God in our character. To live and act and speak the way God would speak if he were us. Think about your life. If God was living your life, what would it look like? Now, I don't know what the silk underwear level of dedication to following Jesus is in 2023, but all I know is that that is how I want to imitate God in my life, that every area of my life would look like Jesus, because becoming like Jesus is obviously not easy, 
But here's the thing, God doesn't leave us to do and achieve it on our own. He loves us and he will help us and empower us to live this new way of life and a way of love by giving us the Holy Spirit. So what each of us needs to see here is that being a Christian requires, yes, action. Yes, it requires change. But being a Christian isn't just a title that we put onto our life and then just kind of go through as if nothing has happened. It's an entirely new way of life. It's a new identity, a new direction, a new way of living. It's the way of love. And yes, sure, we we do good and we get better and we follow Jesus' instructions around things like our sexuality and our finances and our speech and our time and our use of substances. But Paul, the things Paul addresses in this passage, first he tells us, be loved and then love. And when we are, and when we loved as those who are loved, when we love as ones who are rooted and founded in the love of the Father, all of these other things seem to work themselves out as an overflow of who we now are as new people. Too often in Christian church history, we have drilled down on so much of the activity and we've kind of skipped over transforming our hearts and our lives in the way of Jesus so that our activity is just an overflow of the new person we are now in Christ. We are called to be loved and to walk in a way of love. Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children and walk in love. But then Paul moves from there and he moves to the cross of Christ in verse 2 to talk about how we now love others. He says, as Christ loved us and gave himself for us as a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. To understand the Father's love more clearly, we need to look at Jesus, who is the ultimate imitator of the Father's love. You might be thinking today, okay, this is great, love. I want to be more loving. So we go off, we just grit our teeth, and we become more loving by trying harder. No, he's saying, root yourself in the way of Jesus, who has sacrificed himself for you, and consider this. He gives three things. Kevin Smith from uh, from South African Theological Seminary, he unpacks it this way. He says, consider the power of love, consider the pattern of love, and consider the perfume of love. So let's just unpack these very briefly as we close. The power of love, the pattern of love, and the perfume of love. The power of love. Basically saying, love others like Jesus loves us. That sounds really good, but let's be honest, we all fail. Non-Christians generally can't grasp the concept of sacrificial love. Uh, More often than not, those outside the church, um, they don't really have any interest of submitting to God uh, by loving Him with their whole being. And even for Christians in the church, uh, we can honestly say that we haven't loved God perfectly in every of our lives. But Paul shows us that we need not only Jesus' example in order to do this, we actually need to receive His grace. We need a Savior who forgives us we, we need the help of the Holy Spirit to empower us to love the world, demonstrating in us the fruit of the Spirit. And here's the thing, we fail frequently. And so if you're here, this is not like, you need to love it. If you don't do it, you suck. No, it's, it's submit, receive the grace of God and allow the Holy Spirit to transform us and empower us. It's not on us. The Holy Spirit is our helper that helps us in this life. Friends, we would be crushed under the weight of guilt if, we, if it were not for the cross. We would give up in frustration after trying for a little bit. But Jesus loved the Father and others perfectly, and he died in our place 
so that we can experience the grace and love of the Father. What a Savior we have. We're going to come to the communion table in a moment, and we're going to remember the, the sacrifice of Jesus, whose body was broken, whose blood was shed, so that we can receive the free gift of grace. Remember, friends, Jesus Christ came to earth. He lived a perfect life, a sinless life. He kept the law perfectly, and then he died the death that we deserve as our substitutes, and then he rose on our behalf. And if we have faith in him, and if we receive him, he saves us. And, and then once people come to know Jesus, God sends his Holy Spirit to indwell in our hearts to empower us to be those who are able to sacrifice and to love. That's the power of love. Let's look at the, 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 the pattern of love. How did Jesus love? Well, this verse provides a marvelous description of a genuine love. Love involves giving ourselves away for the good of the other. Paul says that Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. And he repeats this idea, and we're going to come to this in a moment uh, in, 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 in next week, is this idea about marriage where he says, Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Jesus Christ gives himself up, and that's the pattern of love which, which we follow. See, because love is not sentimentalism. Love is not merely like saying sorry or feeling sorry for other people. Love involves sacrifice and action. John writes, he says, little children, we must not love with word or speech, but with the truth and action. And Jesus demonstrates his love with flesh and blood action for you and I. Some of these actions involve loving one another, and they involve forgiving others, giving financially, spreading the gospel, being patient with other people, loving those who annoy you, uh, re repenting of racism, and displaying love to different people and different people groups, helping those who are in need. These are all given to us in the book of Ephesians alone. So how do we love others? Well, we follow Christ's example as our model, and we think on him and how much he loved us. Christ says, uh, Paul says that Christ loved us and gave himself for us. Kevin Smith again, he says, meditate on the love of Christ and, it may, and may it compel you to love like the Savior. So how do we do this? We meditate on the love of Christ, the sacrificial love of Christ that saves us and then that compels us to want to love like the Savior. I'm gonna invite Oscar up and we're gonna transition into our time of, um, of communion. But let's look in closing at the perfume of love. Jesus Christ, death was a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. In the Old Testament, sacrifices were placed on the altar and we are told that a pleasing aroma was an Old Testament description of God's acceptance of that sacrifice from a sincere and wholehearted worshiper. And here in Ephesians, Jesus' offering of himself was the ultimate and acceptable sacrifice. And it gave the perfume of grace, the perfume of glory, and it was the most pleasing aroma of sacrifice that the Lord has ever received. And my prayer for us, Light Church, is that we would be a holy fragrance of love in our city, that our church would be a, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. The way we live out our lives and conduct ourselves as disciples of Jesus would be a, ple a perfume of love would emanate out of us in our daily lives and our families as our body as the church. That we would care for other people practically. That we would care for other people sincerely. And that we would generously give of ourselves to our city and beyond for the glory of God. For the glory of God. I'll tell you a story to close with about a lady named Amy Carmichael. 
She's someone who exemplified this type of love. She was a great missionary to India who spent much of her ministry caring for ill-treated children. And uh, she saved many from forced prostitution and uh, horrific lives that would have been ahead of them. She founded, and I think as I pronounce it, the Duhovoir Fellowship, uh, which became a refuge for more than a thousand children. She died in India in 1951 at the age of 83. But before dying, she asked that there would be no stone over her grave. But the children she cared deeply for decided to put a bird bath uh, on her grave with the single inscription, Emma, which means mother. Amy Carmichael lived out her life, her, her, her life saying. She was famous for this one saying. She said, one can give without loving, but one cannot love without giving. I love that. One can live without loving, but one cannot love without giving. See, because we're not supposed to focus on our action. To focus on who we are. And everything else is an overflow. Our sexuality, our time, our speech. These are overflows out of who we are. Who are we? Dearly loved children. Sherwood uh, Eddie once said of Amy Carmichael, he said, her life was the most fragrant and most joyful sacrifice I've ever known. I pray that that would be said of us as a church, Light Church. The life of Light Church is the most fragrant and most joyfully sacrificial that San Diego has ever known. I pray it said of you and me that our lives are the most fragrant and most joyfully sacrificial that the world has ever known. Because, friends, that is what would have been said about Jesus. We're called to be like Jesus. So I pray that other people would know the love of Christ, that me and you would know the love of Christ, and that our lives would be a pleasing aroma to God. And so what we're going to do is we're going to come to the communion table. I'm just going to remember the sacrifice of Jesus. If communion is new to you, everyone's invited. The, the, the tables that Jesus sets for us is an invitation to everybody to come and receive his grace. We come to the table as with the bread representing his body that is broken on the cross to pay the penalty and price for our sins and his blood that washes us clean so that when we stand before God, we don't stand as Brian or as Sarah or as Julian. We stand as those clothed in the righteousness of Christ. So get this, when God sees you and I, He actually sees the perfection of Jesus. And that is made possible by, the, by Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross, which we remember and celebrate at the communion table. So we're not gonna like end with a song or anything today. We're just gonna end with a moment of actually enjoying the presence of Jesus, remembering His sacrifice, and saying thank you, and receiving again His love. So I'm going to invite you to come forward. There's the table either side. This side, you can kind of come down the aisle and, and just take the bread and dip it in, in the juice and maybe make your way back to your seat. And, and I'm actually going to invite you to take a seat because we rest in the presence of the Lord. It's not our achievement. It's not our task that He wants. He wants us to posture ourselves in a position of being in His presence and enjoying His love. And then we would be sent out as ones, and we'll pray as we go, as ones who live in the way of Jesus, the way of love, and then live out of the way of love. So I'm going to invite you to stand and make your way to communion table and just enjoy this time with the Lord. 
Thanks for listening to the Light Church Podcast. This sermon was recorded in San Diego, California. We pray that the Lord would speak to you through His Word. For more information, you can visit our website, lightsandiego.com.